the first rule of hops and box office flops is you do not talk about hops and box office flops. Uh, McCheese, if we, we kind of need people to talk about the pods so that we have more listeners. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, that does make sense. Okay, I'll get rid of rule number two. Then how about um, rule number three? If someone falls asleep, the pod is over. Yeah, uh, as you kind of displayed, you're going to want to skip that one too. It's, it doesn't work uh, out very well. <laughs> Double shits, yeah. I've done that before several times. Uh, rule number four, only two guys do a pod? Uh, yeah, no, there's uh, four of us. <sighs> rule number five, one pod at a time? I mean, honestly, I don't know how we do more than one pod at a time, so yeah, that yeah, works. Okay, okay, yeah, there we go. Okay, rule number six, no shirt, no shoes, no pod? I am shirtless, yeah, so nah. no deal. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. shirts are not required for potting. Yeah, nope, I'm not agreeing to that one either. Rule number seven, pods will go on as long as they have to? That is acceptable, as long as it's 90 minutes. Yeah, okay. And and finally, rule number eight, this is your first night on hops and box office flops. You have to pod. That's, I mean, that's true, but no one's new on the pod tonight. Ah, God damn it! Hops. And box office flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Welcome, folks, and thank you for joining us for the 106th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops. Tonight, in our second installment of Hops and Our Favorite Flops, we'll be covering 1999's Fight Club, in case you couldn't tell from the pretty obvious intro. Joining me, as always, are the Thunderous Wizard, a.k.a. Angel Face. Don't destroy anything beautiful tonight, guys. I've only got one one face, so... Yeah, he's got a wife and kids. Uh, Yeah, but, I mean, he'll make it up being Joker later. It's fine. It's true. <laughs> well, well, he is that why he has the grill in Joker? <laughs> uh, Captain Cash is here as the mechanic. I am Jack's dire warning of what the internet is about to become. Yep. And last but not least, Chumpzilla, a.k.a. Robert Bitch Tits Paulson. Hey, if you guys need a big pair of sweaty man jugs to rest your head on and weep softly into, you know where to come. Points of order before we begin. Of course, we are brought to you by Wobam Entertainment, the internet cafe to find all the latest and greatest in nerddom. Uh, check us out there at wobamentertainment.com. That's W-O-B-A-M entertainment.com. You can also find the pod on all social media outlets at Hops and B.O. Flops. If you do have the time, please seek us out and drop us a line on a movie we have not done yet because we're always in the market for good ideas. Um, when I am not out making soap from uh, apparently liposuction to fat, you can find me at HBOF McCheese on Twitter. Chumpzilla, when you're not attending self-help meetings for the free coffee, of course, where can you be found? You can find me recruiting followers for Project Ring Baloney on Twitter at Chumpzilla8. <laughs> uh, Captain Cash, when you aren't punching yourself in the face to get yourself fired, where can you be found? I am always doing that, but you can find me doing that at C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H on most of your social media. 
and that's not just fired. That's fired with severance. Big difference. You want you want the severance. Don't leave oh, yeah. without the severance. You want that golden parachute. And finally, Thunderous Wizard, when you're not causing wanton destruction, where can you be found at? Oh, well, I'm almost nearly always causing wanton destruction. But you can find me making all sorts of single-serve friends on Twitter at WriterTLK. That's actually probably pretty true. Um, so, unfortunately, I do not believe you can find this movie free anywhere right now. Uh, but if you haven't seen it, then I doubt you're going to go be seeking it out after this podcast. I own it, but ended up renting it on the Amazon <laughs> for four bucks because it was easier to watch on my iPad. So my kids weren't bothering me. Uh, you can buy it for five. And I'm assuming I may rewatch this at some point in time. So I just bought it for five instead of renting it for four. Me, uh, me and me and Miss Mrs. McCheese went through that last night, and I was like, "There's no way." I used to like this movie a lot, but there's no way I rewatch it because I haven't watched it in ten years. I picked it up a few years back for like seven dollars on Blu-ray, so that's the reason I own the movie because I remember, hey, I liked that movie in college. Seven dollars, I'll that buy was it. A fun movie, yeah, yeah, seven bucks, whatever. Well, apparently. Oh, no. um, Oh God! What is it called when they do the voice? They do the movie, but they have the actors talk over it. You guys know the name. Commentary, director's yeah, commentary. Director's commentary. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, director's commentary. Apparently, that run through is actually fairly entertaining because of all the ridiculous stuff that happened during this movie. I watched about half of it. I'll just say this: David Fincher is not a great narrator. Well, I think you should just stop being such a slave to your own consumerism, Chumpzilla. Nobody buys yeah. physical media anymore, loser. <laughs> Stop old man shaming me. <laughs> uh, honestly, I haven't, like I mentioned before, seen this movie in maybe 10-ish years. And after watching it, uh, given the recent events of the last few years, I feel we probably all have some new takes on the themes and the troubles that are within this movie. I but, like how you say the troubles like we live in Northern Ireland. Ah, it's troubles. Um, we can save that all uh, for later when we probably spent a good amount of time discussing how this movie was received in 1999 and how it kind of currently lives with the angsty white men in our society. And I will be forthright and honest right now. I kind of wish, since this was our favorite flops choice, that I skipped this and picked a Chris Farley movie because this isn't going to be terribly fun. to. T- it's going to be interesting to talk about, but not terribly fun. Like last weekend... Our last uh, podcast on Pacific Rim. That was fun. That was a good podcast. That was a lot of jokes. This is just going to be kind of like, ugh. There's just too many angry white man themes in this thing. Yeah. So before Mm -hmm. we get into that heavy thematic lifting, let's discuss some beer. Hooray, beer. So for tonight, the podcast beer is Lagunitas Hazy Wonder IPA. Uh, I chose this beer because the can art was a confused dog, which kind of lines up with how the narrator spends most of this movie. Hazy Wonder comes in as a Captain Cash disapproved 6% ABV. Not enough booze. And I would agree with that, considering what we're about to say about it. Uh, beer Advocate scores this pretty high, surprisingly, uh, 85 out of 100, and describes it as such. This fascinating ferment is full of fabulous Sabro Comet citra and cashmere hops for a smooth tropical fruitiness a slight bitter densely hazy phenomenon that's strangely light and mouthfeel keeping you satiated and still coming back for more so let's give it a try 
in my opinion, it's not bad, but being a big IPA drinker, if I'm going to invest the money, calories, and the possibility of a hangover, I want to drink something that I enjoy a little bit more. And don't get me wrong. I'm glad I tried it, but it's just not knocking my socks off. Overall, I, I give it a movie. Um, let's start with you, Chumzilla. What do you think? I'm going to use one of Thunderous Wizards lines here and say that uh, this beer would get me through the credits of one bad movie. I do not like it. It tastes like spoiled orange juice. No, sir, I do not like this beer. Spoiled orange juice. That's what that is. I, uh, yeah, uh, it's an IPA and it's a little IPA, but mostly it's very weirdly fruity and not in a good way. So, yeah, one, one movie. Uh, it's a, if it's free beer, I'll sit through one movie for it. Uh, one. It tastes like you left it out for a day. And then came back to it. It's it's that's, super watered down. It's like the Bud Light of IPAs. I mean, that's actually not a bad description. This is what happens when you and your buddies get a keg and drink half of it and then leave it sitting outside overnight and then decide you're like, oh, we're going to keep going. And then you pour another one. You're like, oh, my God, this is awful. What like, did we do? What did we do? Wait, I, I've got an idea here. I know a way to make this beer taste even worse. Let's all go brush our teeth and then drink some. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. I mean, I hate God. myself enough already. I don't need the help. Thanks. So <laughs> I think as a group, we're giving it one, maybe even less than one, which eh, I kind of suck. I mean, I like a lot of Lagunita stuff, but this just it doesn't land. Missy which, Mark. I guess it's a good thing it's a seasonal. Um, but moving on, let's get to the uh, tale of the tape. As mentioned earlier, Fight Club came out in 1999 and was considered a financial flop at the box office. The budget for the movie was a reported $63 million, and overall it only grossed about $101 million, with only 37 of that being in the United States. It, <laughs> uh, That's shocking. Like Thunderous Wizard will like this. It opened against basically no competition with the biggest name that week being the story of us, the Bruce Willis and Michelle Pfeiffer vehicle. I can tell you, if you don't just crush the weekend when that's your only competition, that's a worrisome sign because that movie sucks. I've uh, seen it. <laughs> it did open say, at number here's one. My real question. Here's my real question. Did you see that movie? Oh, I did. Yeah, I've seen it. Uh, I don't know why I've seen it, but I have. Because you've seen everything. I'm just a sucker for rom-coms. You know? Well, I mean, that that was also a gigantic flop. And when you compare this to the hits that 1999 produced, such as the financial titans that were Star Wars Episode One, and as a sad side story here, me and the Thunderous Wizard lined up to see this movie. <laughs> um Austin Power. Hold on. Okay, yeah. I guess even even more fun that. side story about our trip to see the Phantom Menace at midnight was the two kids from our high school lightsaber dueling before this angry man with yep. a ponytail yelled at them to sit down. Yeah, this is all this is all very true. Very. This is where we get all of the facts out onto uh, recorded history. <laughs> I, I just uh, I will freely admit that I too skip school to wait in line to get my tickets for the phantom menace the the other blockbusters that came out this year austin powers 2 big daddy toy story 2 fight club did not really bring in that much money comparatively to those movies ultimately this film found its footing 
like most cult classics in its DVD release. And as far as reviews go, this still carries an 8.8 on IMDb, a 66 on Metacritic, 79 reviewer percentage on Rotten Tomato with an audience score of 96. Uh, So people still, yeah, I mean, that's way high. People still like it, but when you dive into that, uh, you'll find, obviously, as we're going to discuss, the movie is very polarizing. And I think some of the things we're going to talk about 20 years later, I feel like that's only gotten more extreme, which is more of a conversation on the last 20 years and not the movie. 20 years ago, 22 years ago now, the the whole like, oh, you're not your fucking khakis. Yeah, I'm not. Now it's like, wait a minute. This is a movie produced by a studio telling me how commercialism is bad. Wait, this is hollow as shit. It's really weird. And I think Roger Ebert said best in his review by calling it the most frankly and cheerfully fascist big star movie since Death Wish. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yep. The, 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 fa- the fact that there's actually a handful of major reviewers that reviewed it when it came out and then went back and reviewed it again several years later just to be like, oh, no, um, I need to update that. Carry like, some weight. I know we occasionally bring this up, but the Starship Troopers comparison is apt here that when it came out, Nobody really fucking got it. And then we all went back five years later and went, oh, oh, no. Whoops. Yeah. When you when you look at this thing in the reverse uh, periscope or oh, sorry, what do you the call rear that? View mirror? Yeah. Yeah. Rear view mirror or the, re- <laughs> you know, the backwards the periscope. periscope. Yeah. The down periscope, the rear yeah. mirror. The- Shut up. Somebody quick, look that up on uh, Urban Dictionary. The backside binoculars. Uh, that, that sounds better. Backside uh, binoculars. Yeah, that also sounds terrible. Reverse periscope. Oh, this my is, God. This is a downward spiral. Uh, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't look good, especially considering uh, our current atmosphere. But let's keep going. The cast on this. Uh, the two main characters, of course, are Edward Norton as the narrator and Brad Pitt as Tyler Durden. The only real main character you need to know to complete the story is Marla Singer, uh, played by Helena Bonham Carter. Playing what I might say as the original Helena Bonham Carter role. Everything else that she has done was informed by this movie. So yes. I, I'm, I'm going to sprinkle in a lot of random side facts and trivia just to punch this whole podcast up because there's, I don't think there's going to be a lot of jokes between all of us, but she, she actually told her makeup artist to do everything with her left hand because she figured her character didn't know how to do makeup. (laughs) That's why she looks so Marla Singer. (laughs) This movie doesn't suffer from a lack of talent doing their job on this movie. I'll give it that. Yep. No, that's fair. I think the f- most fun fact I picked up watching half of the director's commentary on this is that when they have these characters with names, full names like Marla Singer, um, used in the movie, they have to go through legal to get them cleared. And like, if there's like a thousand people named Marla Singer, it's fine, no big deal. They're not worried about it because no one Marla Singer can say, "Hey, you you rip, rip you rip me off." And like, no, there's a thousand of you. You could have been any one of you. you one person can't sue. It turns out there's one Marla Singer in the Continental 48, and they had to like call her up and pay her off to use her name. <laughs> how, did they and, say how and, much they yeah. paid her? What was, the, what was her price? How much they paid her? I don't know, but she got a lawyer involved, so I'm assuming it was at least five figures. 
That's amazing. Well, did they I know. did they screen the movie for her? And she's like, uh no. No, this didn't happen. <laughs> so oh, yeah. Her, her Full disclosure, movie. the woman that you that we've named after you definitely says, I wanna have your abortion, or I haven't been fucked like that since grade school. Yeah, I'm gonna need to see at least four zeros, whatever it is. Four four zeros need to come after it. Yeah, I, w- I wonder what the financial jump was from them just calling her and be like, can we use your name until then, like her being a screener and be like, no, no. <laughs> that $5,000 just went to half a million dollars. Are you opposed to people smoking at emphysema meetings? Or <laughs> because if you are. <laughs> I mean, the movie goes out of its way to portray her in the most negative light humanly possible. Um, but we, uh, we're we still on the cast. So there are some other large players in the film, mostly parts of Fight Club and Project Mayhem. And give me a second here. Uh, Jared Leto is in this. Cheers to Thunder's Wizard as Angel Face. Welcome back, Jared! Uh, Zach Grenier, I think I'm producing or pronouncing that right, as Richard Chesler, which almost is very close to Dick Cheese, in my opinion. Uh, he's the narrator's boss. Meatloaf obviously is in here at Robert Paulson. Uh, Holt, is it McElhaney? Am Holt I saying McElhaney, that right? yeah. Yeah, he's in this as the mechanic, which I think this is somewhat early in his career. Because he's Very. gotten a lot more work since Because double welcome back, because you were in the Terrible Justice League and Bullet to the Head, perhaps your finest work. <laughs> and <laughs> another name I'm going to butcher is, I think it's Eon, E-I-O-N, Bailey as Ricky who you see him a ton he's the shaggy haired first space monkey i threw him in this cast list only because when we were re-watching this last night with me and mrs mccheese both of us at the same time said where is this guy from why is he so familiar and for me it ended up i realized he is from band of brothers for her he is from switched for christmas which is the hallmark movie starring not one but two candace camerons Mm. And I'm assuming Thunderous Wizard might have seen it, maybe? Uh, no. I generally oh. avoid Hallmark movies. I was hoping. I was going to cut down on your rom-coms, though. I, I really have done a couple, to be fair, but I have not oh, seen that Christmas Prince? Yeah. Oh, now the, now the numbers creeping oh, back I watched up, huh? both Christmas Princes. I watched the one where the girl goes back to her small hometown <laughs> and plop from <laughs> that... the office is there. That's every 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 Hallmark Christmas movie is where the girl goes back to her hometown and finds a hunk. Listen, I want the Hallmark Christmas movie shot from the perspective of the big city lawyer who is just trying to do his job with his girlfriend. And then what? She went she went back home and now yeah. she's leaving me for some random yokel? Come on. And yeah, no, now he, Christmas he, is celebrated with hookers and blow. Well, no, she, she's leaving him for as a rancher. traditional. As it's always traditional. a rancher or a farmer. Yeah, the or, simple or life. A, a local businessman who like it's going to be a white Christmas. Mom and pop shop. But if it's on Hallmark, I guarantee you it is a white Christmas. One hundred percent white Christmas. I'm partial to the Lifetime movies with the femme fatale. Where there's like, it's inevitably like the psycho nanny or the psycho nurse or the psycho paralegal. I can't get enough of those. They're so wonderfully terrible. Yeah, we're taking a deep dive into the Thunderous <laughs> Wizard's psyche here where every holiday is celebrated by <laughs> some mentally deranged person stabbing another person. 
boiling rabbits. Uh, oh, so we should also mention here, obviously, that this movie was directed by David Fincher. Don't really need to delve into his laundry list of music, or movies because there's a ton of them. Uh, music was done by the Dust Brothers, who were pretty high up there in the techno stratosphere of 1999. And I think I'm allowed to say techno nowadays because back then EDM didn't exist. So we're going with techno. House, um, sex and drugs and house. Are you sure it's not tech? Yes. I think I think the Thunder's Wizard might want to dance with the devil. Pick up up your weapons and fight, Brad Pitt. Another worthy comment in this is that there was a decent amount of battling between Fincher and the studio, but not in the bad blood way. But in the overall, he had a vision. They saw the reception. They didn't know how to make it work. There's some back and forth. And we're going to touch on some of that in the plot review. So for one-liners, we're we're going back several months to IMDb being at its old ways with their terrible descriptions. And this is not a one-liner. This is a giant paragraph, and I'm fairly sure it's almost the entire plot, and I'm going to read it. And it states, a nameless first-person narrator, Edward Norton, attends support groups and attempts to subdue his emotional state and relieve his insomniac state, which... It's a terrible sentence, actually, now that I read it out loud. I think I just had a stroke listening to that. Yeah, I'm also, like, my brain is now malfunctioning now that I read it out loud. When he meets Marla, another fake attendee of the support groups, his life seems to become a little more bearable. No, again, that doesn't actually make any sense. No, him meeting Marla is like the catalyst for him to go over the deep end. All right, no, we're going to keep going. However, when he associates himself with Tyler, he is dragged into an underground fight club and soap making scheme. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> I can't with like this description. No, I, what is this? What, what are we still doing here? Hey, I have to make it through this so we can get to our own. Together, the two men spiral out of control and engage in competitive rivalry for love and power. When the narrator is exposed to the hidden agenda of Tyler's fight club, he must accept the awful truth that Tyler may not be who he says he is. <laughs> that I copy and I oh my to God. Face that entire thing from IMDb. <laughs> I'm who I'm angry that? I was made to listen to that. Cash, if you I mean, if you can, you should try to figure out if you can send that resume to IMDb to rewrite every single one of their one sentence movie descriptions, because even this is wrong and it's way too long. <laughs> I would like to start a fight club to fight whoever wrote that. All right, let, one keep... fight, one fight. No. I really, that's all I need. Why don't we call it a right club? No! Ooh, a right club. Oh, oh wait a minute. Alt-right like club. No, let's, uh, you know let's what? Go. Yeah. Let's go through ours. Captain Cash, what is your one-liner? Yeah, so... Nice. This is the worst time you're going to have with an imaginary friend since before Jojo Rabbit. I didn't actually see that movie, so I have nothing to compare it to, but I agree with it. Um, Jojo Rabbit is a great movie. You should definitely check it out. I love Taika Waititi. Uh, no, no, I, I heard it's yeah. a good movie. I just don't have time because of these kids of mine. Um, Thunderous Wizard, what do you got? Well, I will just say first off that Drop Dead Fred seemed pretty terrible for Phoebe Cates, but my one sentence... Uh, but my, still not as bad as Hitler. No. 
my one sentence description is I would do anything for love, but I won't talk about Fight Club or produce testosterone naturally or not get shot in the head. I do love meat love. Chumzilla, you. David Fincher presents The Dark Knight Rises, where Bane wasn't born into the darkness, but instead in an Ikea, and Captain Cash does not appear in a crowd scene. That's true. Yeah. As I texted you, he was eating Swedish meatballs. He's very busy on the side screen. As one does in an Ikea. Hey, Um, if you don't get the pancakes and the meatballs at Ikea, you're doing it wrong. You don't have Swedish meatballs, and you think this gives you... (laughs) Power over me? <laughs> you order your furniture complete. I, f- I build mine from scratch with a bizarre set of instructions. <laughs> and uh, an Allen key. I All was right. born into it. Um, I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm going to combine several from my earlier text messages. I do like the David Fincher Presents Edgelord Toss, which I don't know if we need uh, Cash to explain that to us. I think we get it. Uh, also, I do like my original. The this is the movie split, but with QAnon undertones. And finally, in this week's installment of Angsty White Men. <laughs> That's it. That's pretty white one. kids with problems. Yeah. <laughs> Bored, angry white dudes. Next. Anyone else have more to throw out, or should we go to the plot? Hey guys, did you watch YouTube this morning? <laughs> <laughs> Did you catch the Joe Rogan show? Because he they made some points. Oh, God. Dude, just um, movie Red Pill so hard. <laughs> fuck this movie. Yeah, I mean... Well, no, I just want to say this. As much as we're bashing on it, I, I think this movie attempts, and I think the book to a certain degree, too, which I'm not super familiar with, attempts to sort of demonize the activities in the end, Sort of like American History X, there's supposed to be a bit of character development, but it's not super clear, and it it goes way out of its way to glorify a lot of what Brad Pitt or Tyler Durden does in this movie in ways that it makes it hard to pick up on any hints of irony or growth in the end. I'll save my basic thoughts after we get through the plot, but this movie is extremely well made and extremely well acted. Um the problem lies in the way people took it. Like if you watch this and you understand and you get what's happening, you're like, oh man, like this is it's prophetic in a way. But if you watch this and like, man, Tyler's the coolest dude ever, that's a problem. And it's it's not this movie's fault exactly, but it sort of is because it doesn't do enough to be like, oh yeah, this guy's super sweet, but he's not. He's actually a psychopath. Well, I mean the what actually was a good uh, source to go read is Collider put out a 20-year retrospective article where they essentially said that like David Fincher did way too good of a job pointing out the wrong things you want to know about this movie. Like David Fincher is an amazing director, and obviously Brad Pitt and Edward Norton, amazing actors. And when you watch this thing, certain people are going to naturally gravitate towards Brad Pitt and that's where the bad shit comes about and we're I mean we'll get into it when you get into the prompt summary but if you want to you know I don't think anyone really wants to but if you want to deep dive into it dig up that collider article because it's very well written where they're like it it's one of those weird mashups where you have 
an awesome director and awesome actors and the thing that's not supposed to be the cool let's focus on thing becomes that no i agree i read that too i read a bunch of stuff uh before going back into this movie which i haven't watched probably in over 10 years probably since high school i don't think i don't so, think we've actually i don't think i've actually watched it since we were in like sophomore year of college yeah which i just was like 2008 but i would say i never liked it so that was part of the reason um because i i kind of was like these characters are, are irredeemable but and i could see like the you know talking to people who'd seen this movie everybody thought it was so cool i'm like i think you're missing the point because they're not cool like what they're doing is bad you're not supposed to like them and that's not how it was like received at the time by like kids we knew in high school who loved yeah. it and would like hey we're starting a fight club and like i guess you're missing the point here because that's really not what the movie's about but so i i just never liked it but it is impossible to argue how well made and shot and acted it is <sighs> You know, I'm just going to say this now. Um, there was a experiment done by a guy in the 70s who was friends, oddly enough, or at least in contact with the guy that did the Stanford prison experiment, mm. where he basically turned his high school history class into Nazis over the course of a week. Oh, yeah. And he used I've a actually, lot of I've these. I've actually read that. I've read that. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it's actually part of the curriculum in Germany. Uh, for like grade school or high school kids like to talk about there's been books written about it and then listen to a podcast it was on behind the bastards it's a great episode can't think of the guy's name now probably for the better he's, he, he was a bastard but the point being is he employed a lot of these techniques that had been employed in nazi germany he used it on his class and you know they're pretty much the same techniques that tyler uses here in order to build this fight club project mayhem structure to recruit these disillusioned young men into it and to give them purpose and structure and you know, strength through action, which is basically what Fight Club is. It's 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 strength through action for the sake of action and get these guys to have these visceral violent experiences and being being willing to fight in the streets. And it's like, yeah, that's that's kind of how fascism works. That's supposed to be a bad thing, guys. That that's that's a bad thing. I mean, I'm gonna bring up Starship Troopers again and say Starship Troopers does a great job of lampooning fascism. This movie struggles with the lampoon part, and that's where it frustrates me. Yeah. I, I would argue it doesn't lampoon at all, except for some of the over-the-top stuff. It more or less glorifies it and treats it kind of like a, that's a fraternity, it's hazing. Don't yeah, worry it's about it. And I'm like, it's not clear enough that these are the, eh, I don't know. Yeah, no, no, it's not. It's not. It's played for laughs more than anything, and not like, again, the the uh, the context and and the subtlety is not there to say, hey, this is this is bad. This is this is supposed to be ironic. No, it's glorified for the most part. Considering how heavy this might get in the uh, plot summary and all the questions we're going to have asked towards, let's take a break right now. Let's refresh our drinks and let's hear from our buddies over at the Double Turn Podcast. We'll be back in a minute. 
Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Boss Ross. And I'm the J-Man, and we're the Double Turn Podcast. Every Friday, we bring you the best in pro wrestling talk. Whether it's previews and reviews on pay-per-view events, discussing the hottest topics in pro wrestling, or bringing you a look back to some of the best matches and moments in history. We have it all for you. So check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the Anchor app. And you can also give us a follow on Instagram at the Double Turn Podcast. And we will catch you on the flip side. Welcome back to the 106th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops, brought to you by WobamEntertainment.com. As a reminder, we are currently covering 1999's Fight Club. All right, let's get into the plot summary. We are going to try to keep this brief since almost everyone is familiar with this movie. We will be stopping along the way to discuss some interesting trivia about the movie, since I didn't want to put that in the quiz. And splice in a few frames of dick. No, yeah, and some exposed penis. Um, we will also, uh, yeah, this is the current FYI spoiler alert. We will be discussing this as we all know the twist uh, throughout the entire plot review. So spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this movie, I guess go watch it. I don't know how you haven't seen it. Um, we're just going to refer to them as they are. So with that being said, let's begin. Our movie starts at the end with Tyler holding a gun in the narrator's mouth and basically asking if he is ready to watch their big achievement. In film school, this is what we call in media res. It was very popular in the late 90s. Nerd. Um, from here, we backtrack to the beginning where we learn that the narrator is essentially a corporate chill who is also battling insomnia. We get a peek into his material life, which becomes a theme you'll see here soon and how he believes that corporations are essentially running everything and so this is where i'm going to start kind of dumping in random side trivia so first side trivia point here that reverse trash can scene was done in haste and took approximately three weeks to render the scene in total uh, the crew spent roughly eight hours to render each frame where they back out from the trash can like past the Starbucks shit back to the normal scene. Like it seems like it seems like a lot. It seems like you're wasting a lot of time. That was a waste of money, I will say. I get what they're going for, but why? Listen, in the 90s, if you wanted to do something arty, took a little bit of time. Yeah, I mean, the the budget on this was 63, but it started out as 50, so maybe we saw where some of that went. Like the <laughs> These fancy shots that are unnecessary. Um, anyways, so upon the casually joking advice from his doctor, the narrator attends a self-help group for men with testicular cancer. Here we meet Bob, played by Meatloaf. And our second side trivia is that to ensure that Bob's breast, his bitch tits, and his gut hung correctly, his fat suit was filled with bird seed so that it would give the impression of big sagging flesh. And altogether, he had to wear that thing around weighing 100 pounds, which Meatloaf's a big dude, but 100 pounds attack on the front of a person is a lot. It's a lot. Some may say that uh, that sweat, that fat suit was coming like a bat out of hell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Side story time. Uh, Meatloaf would do anything for love. Yeah, we in college we played rugby with these two guys, Mario and Luigi. Luigi listens to the show; he'll appreciate the shout out. 
and uh, obviously they were, they had those nicknames because one was short and chubby and one was tall and skinny. Um, but Luigi advised Mario prior to beginning rugby that if all rugby players listen to Meatloaf. So if you want to get in good with the team, you got to tell them you like Meatloaf, which Mario then relayed to me. And I said, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> I mean, I, I like Meatloaf. Nope. Oh. Hmm. So Bob invites the narrator to cry, and surprisingly he does. And in doing so, he has an emotional release that allows him to start sleeping again. So here is my first plot question. And do you think he's actually sleeping, or is this where Tyler starts to take over and lay the groundwork? Good question. I actually really like that. Um, I I'm going to choose to believe that this is where he actually sleeps because the overall thread of this film is the concept of how, you know, basically toxic masculinity turns you into a a terrible human. So I'm inclined to believe that him actually having some form of emotional release allows him to live more comfortably. Unfortunately, in comes misogyny where we see... Whose character? Marla Hooch. Hooch. Marla um, Maples. Yeah. I. That's probably the... I mean, there's a lot of gross things about this movie, but the treatment of the female character is real nasty. The female character. The female character. The, the, one only, the only character. female in this movie. Yeah, you basically get her and that ca- <clears throat> the cancer patient that begs for Nookie, which is a really painfully awkward scene. Well, it's really weird when Fred Durst kicks down the door and goes, <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, Jesus. No. This was 1999. That completely checks out. Yeah, no, that's right. fair. Right, no, so- and to your point, McCheese, I'll just add that, no, I believe Captain Cash is correct. I believe the language of the movie tells us that the emotional release allows him to rest and actually sleep. And it's heavily implied that when Tyler comes out later in the film, that's when he is not sleeping. He's disassociated from himself, and he's no longer sleeping. His insomnia is still a problem, and he takes on that personality of Tyler Durden and does awful things at night. All right, so let's get to Marla. Once the narrator realizes that he can get sleep by attending self-help groups, he becomes addicted to them and starts going to any and all that he can find. This works well until Marla, which we just mentioned, shows up at all the same groups as him. Her Her presence and knowing that she is also a faker causes him to become an insomniac again. Eventually, he confronts her, and they split up the meeting so that they can both get what they want. Here's the thing. He's presented with a mirror of exactly what he is doing, and that's a problem for him, but it's also presented in the form of a lady, so there's clearly a lady problem there, too. Just compounding. The The subtext isn't great. It's... It's okay for me to do this, but not for you to do this. Yeah. But even when he confronts her, you're like, you're yelling at yourself. <laughs> yeah. Which he does through the entire movie. God right. Um, I got a very Adam and Eve tree of knowledge thing there, too. Like, it's the woman's fault for, uh, you know, fouling Eden. Right? Like, he has this Eden in these meetings that are giving him peace. The woman shows up and messes it up. Yeah. God damn, this movie sucks. Yeah, I mean, again, I I 
completely apologize for not picking a comedy. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Well, in a way, the self-seriousness of this movie is a comedy. <laughs> it's funny. True. Not in a ha-ha way. More of a, oh, no. The problem is that, again, we're going to discuss it constantly. It's so well done that it makes you forget its missteps. But let's keep going. After the Marla narrator interaction, this is where we officially meet Tyler. On a plane ride, Tyler and the narrator are sitting next to each other. They basically interact, as you would expect, for a movie given the dialogue we've already had. Uh, Upon landing, the narrator gets held up at security and Tyler leaves. When the narrator gets home... In a bitchin' Camaro that never comes back later. Well, if you notice, the valet runs after him, so essentially he stole that. And again, material possessions. Uh, So when the narrator gets home, he finds that his condo is in flames due to an apparent gas leak. Having nowhere to go, the narrator reaches out to Tyler. They meet at a local bar. They have a few drinks. And then Tyler convinces the narrator to ask him for a place to stay on one condition. This is where we get the famous, I want you to hit me as hard as you can line. I want you to hit me as hard as you can with the metaphor of this fucking movie does anybody else find it slightly ironic that tyler's always ranting and raving about material things but has like clothes that are worth hundreds upon hundreds of dollars i mean are they worth i know i can't tell if they're worth i can't tell if they're worth hundreds of dollars or if he just got them at a goodwill yeah you're on to something there uh because you know if you listen to the director's commentary yeah, the whole point was to have him have like kind of outlandish, flamboyant, clashing fashion because he just doesn't care. Um, and it was implied that, yeah, he's getting these weird clothes like from a thrift store because he just doesn't care. But the problem is sometimes it costs a lot of money to look that tacky. He dresses like all the people in movies you're supposed to think are cool. In 1999. Yes. And again, well, not th- anymore, this, but this circles back to that Collider article. Like David Fincher made him way too cool for what he should have been in all honesty i'm just gonna ask this question because brad pitt's incredible in this movie and he is super cool and i mean obviously he's a psycho and as long as you know that that's fine but would this have worked better if he's edward norton and somebody else because he's the conception of what is manly he's got a six-pack he's very thin he dresses very nice he's super handsome and then somebody else is tyler durden no, you need Tyler Durden to be that weird, like that that male ideal. But the problem is you'd never get the precipitous drop of, oh, wait, it's all just some toxic bullshit I dreamed up for myself. Like they, they try and their attempt at trying, and I'm jumping ahead, is they have Brad Pitt shave his head. Yeah. And it's like, that's not enough. <laughs> but they also have him spout ideas that are completely half-baked and bullshit throughout the movie. I know, but half-baked bullshit spout from a pretty mouth is basically what runs our country. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So what, what you're basically saying, Thunderous Wizard, is that in your opinion, this movie works better if Brad Pitt is the narrator and you have Mickey Rourke as Tyler Durden. There's, there's a scene in this movie that's incredibly laughable. And it's when Edward Norton looks at the Calvin Klein ad and looks back at Brad Pitt and he's like, is that what they think a real man is? And it works much better if it's Brad Pitt 
and he says this is their conception of man like and i thought this was all real and i spent my life trying to be this and it's all bullshit it works far better than that's one of the worst lines in the movie for me that's <laughs> it, it's so laughably bad it's hard to believe in the delivery is even worse yeah the it would only be funnier if it was actually Brad Pitt's body in the advertisement, but they just didn't show his head, and then they played it back to the audience. If it was just Brad Pitt from Thumb on Louise? Yeah. Honestly, if I'd like to check into that, because if it actually was Brad's Pitt body in the ad, that would be fucking genius, because that drives home what is supposed to be the point of this movie, which is but, but a no piece one... of shit, mediocre dude is idolizing all the things that he's being presented and at the same time hating them. But that's also the problem in the movie when no one would actually notice. Yeah, good point. All right, so here, uh, this is my side trivia number three. We just talked about uh, the I want you to hit me as hard as you can. So when Edward Norton actually hits Brad Pitt in the ear, um, Fincher pulled Edward Norton aside and told him to hit Brad Pitt. He was originally going to fake it, but when Fincher told him to do it, he said, all right, fuck it. And then Norton actually hit him in the fucking ear. And you can kind of see him smiling and laughing when Pitt is writhing in pain in that scene, because apparently they had that sort of camaraderie on this set. We'll talk about it a little bit more later, but he really punched him in the fucking ear. Uh, David Fincher is apparently an awesome dude, and obviously Brad Pitt has collaborated with him multiple times over. So I, I think they... This was, despite, like, the mixed reception and, and the way people received this movie, like, I think they had a great time doing it. Yeah, and I, I have this a little bit later, but I'll bump it up now. There's a scene in this in this section of the movie where it's Brad Pitt and Edward Norton hitting golf balls at what you would appear to be a warehouse. They're actually drunk. Both Brad Pitt and Edward Norton are hammered in that scene, and they're hitting golf balls at the catering truck. That uh, brought back memories, didn't it, fellas? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did. <laughs> so after hitting each other uh, a couple times, they head back to Tyler's house, which is essentially an abandoned dump in the middle of nowhere. There's a lot of voiceovers here and some dialogue about material possessions and what Tyler does for work-ish. Um, You're not you your fucking khakis. Yeah. The two keep fighting in uh, Lou's parking lot, and eventually they attract more people who want to join. I just want to say now, how awesome is the interior set for that house? Oh, it's great. I mean, it's like the house on Neibold Street. Yeah, I, I really like that. I also, this like little montage explaining what Tyler does for a living is the point at which any person who's paying attention goes, oh, this guy's a piece of shit. Like, he's he's in the soup kitchen peeing and things, and... Like, yeah, he works a whole host of jobs just to, like, screw with normal, decent human beings who have no idea what he's doing to them. Like, at that point, that's when you're supposed to be off the Tyler bandwagon. But it's like, oh, but he fights people, bro. No, I mean, but the problem... sticking it to the man. But the problem is, even those acts of vandalism, if you will, they're played out in such a cool way in the movie that people... Kids of our generation in 1999 would have saw that and been like, oh, that's pretty cool, which is not what you're supposed to take from this movie. Yeah. 
So anyways, the two keep fighting in and around the parking lot, and eventually they attract more people who want to join. So Fight Club is formed. We get the infamous rules we did at the intro and more of Tyler's view of the world. Uh, moving forward, the, uh, the narrator eventually crosses paths again with Marla, and then later uh, she tries to overdose on Xanax and calls him for help ish i think i don't know if it's a call for help or just a weird call i'm not really sure um the narrator talks to her and then eventually sets the phone down because he still has contempt for her but tyler picks it up and after that we get the matrix style sex scene um and a recap of marla and tyler's night together so in this i have another side trivia um that original pillow talk scene, which I think Captain Cash brought up, the original uh, quote was Marla saying, I want to have your abortion. And when that was played for Fox, uh, they said absolutely not. David Fincher went out of his way to say he would change it on the provision that they could not cut the new line. And yeah, yeah that, I'll change it. To, I'll change it. But whatever I put in, you got to accept who agreed to that. Like, how do you? Like, Isn't that, that an invitation those, for? This is one of those crazy trivia's that, like, how do you pull that shit? Because he he even changed it to something that's equally as worse. And when they saw it, they asked him to change it back to the original, and he said, "No, no, we had a deal. You told those me those were the rules. Those yes, were the rules. You told me I don't need to change it. <laughs> and those lines are not equally bad. The second is much worse. Yeah, yeah. I just want to point out that. We're seven years removed from Alien Three, David Fincher's first directorial—it's his directorial debut, which was taken from him by the studio, and basically butchered. The director's cut's better; it's still got issues. He only did the game and Seven, and he had so much cachet, he had the ability to say, "I'll take this line out, but you can't tell me to take whatever I put in out." And they're like, like what "Okay." Kind of, what... <laughs> What kind well, of gambler's bet was Fox in for where they're like, we don't like this line. Give us a better line. We don't care what it is. Yep. We'll accept it. <laughs> no, it, and Thunderous Wizard is right. Forget the game. It's about seven. This is another David Fincher movie with Brad Pitt. All they saw was dollar signs. Hey, the game's legit, dude. It's all about the game and how you play it. Oh, Triple H reference there. Hate the player, don't hate yeah, the game. No. Yeah, we got Wait, it. No, hate oh, the game, yeah. Hate the player, whatever. So apparently, um, and this is another bonus trivia on this section, uh, Helena Bottom Carner didn't know what grade school was because she's British. So she relayed that line. And then when they told her what it meant, she was like, oh, that's oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, heavens. Oh, my. You, you mean grammar school? Oh, oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, whatever whatever British grade school is. Grammar school, I believe. Are you talking about Kelsey Grammar School, his legendary acting school? Yeah. Hey, get at me, British Twitter. Are we correct? Is it grammar school? Just all on the set of Frasier? You mean the one that you've been applying to for years, Thunder's I've been applying for a long time to be a Niles Crane stand-in at Gr Kelsey Grammar School. All right, let's move. Uh, so after the Matrix sex scene and the awkward Marla leaving, Tyler goes out of his way to stress to the narrator that, that they do not discuss um, Tyler or what goes on in that house with Marla. 
moving forward, Tyler and the narrator go on to steal fat. They discuss making soaps and bombs, and we get the infamous chemical burn scene. There's more material possessions and letting things go dialogue. Uh, we get the human sacrifice scene, which is Tyler essentially trying to get people to better themselves, but in the most fucked up way. I I hate this scene because, again, this is a this is a very distinct pivot point where you're supposed to be like, oh, this guy's terrible. And then Edward Norton, immediately after the guy goes running home, goes, Tyler has some insane ideas, but he's right. And it's like, no, no, he's not. Stop. I just, yeah, yeah, uh, Tyler sucks. Yeah, it's like, what are you doing? Well, and again, that scene that we're describing, they go to a convenience store, Tyler goes in with a gun, orders out the cashier, and basically prepares to execute the guy. But in doing so, he also interrogates him, asks him what he wanted to be or what, before he was a clerk. He's like, I wanted to be a veterinarian, but the schooling was too hard. And he said, hey, you've got six weeks to get back in school or I'm going to find you because he's reading his driver's license. I'm going to find you at your address in this shitty apartment and I'm going to kill you. So he basically threatens the guy with his life to go better himself. And I think certain people like, like that, they're like, yeah, that's right. He's doing a good thing. He's inspiring that guy. It's like, yeah, but you know, Bernie Sanders would do it a different way. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah. And it's antithetical to his whole message because he's like, Hey, go give more money to one of the largest for-profit industries in the world, which is higher education, not join my fight club, which is, <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing is that scene is the scene that sold Fincher on the movie. The guy that pitched him the book said, you know, you got to read this book. He's like, I don't really want to read this whole book. Just tell me what it's about. So the guy goes, okay, so here's this scene. He describes that convenience store scene. And I'm like, that is the scene that made you want to take this movie. And right there, that's when I realized Fincher might not have known exactly what he was doing. He made right. a good movie, but I'm not sure he knew what he was doing with the source material. Cause if that's the scene that sells you on it, Okay, I question some things now. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, after that, we get the give me your word, Lou scene, where Tyler not sort of fights the owner of the bar. And then we get the homework scene. Uh, and this is essentially the start of Project Mayhem, as Tyler's essentially uh, getting his cronies to go out and do general chaos and vandalism. Another side trivia here. Fun thing to notice if you're watching the movie, when the mechanic sprays the priest with the hose, you'll see that the camera actually shakes. And that's because the cameraman was laughing so hard he couldn't stop himself from shaking the camera. So Another scene I absolutely detest about this movie is then the priest joins the fight club. Well, it's like every person in this movie plot, is... Dude, has Everyone no ideals or morals whatsoever, and they're completely willing to join this cult because it's so freeing. Yes, I would argue that this scene, the go pick a fight with somebody and lose scene, and that convenience store scene are both completely unnecessary, and their tones actually hurt the film because the pick a fight scene with the priest and the hose and the fight in the car lot it's played for laughs. It's slapstick. You could have played yakety sax over it and it would have fit. Well, they, and that's not the tone of this movie. Definitely because the guy chases the bicycle. Yeah, uh, they essentially did. The music that plays there is close to yakety sax. Yeah. Just if brothers you yakety had sax. Played, if you had played yakety sax, it would have been a more effective scene. 
Yeah, because actually, it would have yeah. showed how ridiculous and stupid this idea is. All right, so I think I missed it earlier, but at some point the narrator and Bob link back up and come to the same fight club and fight, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward, the narrator beats himself up in front of his boss to essentially get free money and utilities for Fight Club Project Mayhem. Uh, from there, we launch into the real meaty Project Mayhem portion of the movie. This is where Tyler starts building an army of people living in the house and doing random tasks while also causing general destruction, chaos, and vandalism. Wonton uh, destruction. Wonton destruction. Random task. Who throws a shoe? <laughs> uh, so as as Project Mayhem grows, the narrator feels more and more left out of the group. To emphasize this point, he beats the absolute shit out of Jared Leto because he perceives that Tyler likes him more than him. Um, Homoerotic undertones, which are also considered bad by this film. Little weird. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were talking earlier about the first scene with Tyler and the narrator, and you know, instead of punching each other in the parking lot, they should have just kissed right off the bat. It would have saved us a lot of time and a lot of property damage. That's and exactly probably right. might have saved a few lives, too. I mean, at least Bob would have made it out. Yeah, that's true. He has a name. It's Meatloaf. Robert Paulson. Oh. Robert Paulson. <laughs> and he yeah, would do anything we, we for do Project Mayhem, but he wouldn't do that. Guys. So, if he would have just gone down, he might not have gotten shot. God. So after the Jared Leto fight, we get uh, the car crash where Tyler reveals some, but not all of like the weird background pass between him and the narrator. So this is my second plot point question. How do you think this played out since they're one person? Are the, the people in the back are interacting with Tyler and the narrator in the front seat. Is he talking to himself? Is he just randomly shouting out questions? How does that work? He, yeah. I've never understood. He must that. be driving. Well, he is driving well, no, no. for sure. If, if you actually, if if you actually watch it close enough, when they crash, so so in the scene, Tyler is driving the narrator in the passenger scene. Once they crash, Tyler gets out of the passenger seat and gets the narrator out of the driver's seat. My question, and this is what me and uh, Mrs. McCheese were discussing last night: the people in the back seat aren't fake. They're real. They're real people. They're interacting with him. But what is going on in the front seat? So much of this movie depends on like a real, real suspension of disbelief because he's often yelling at himself or talking to himself. And yet he still has this cult of personality where everyone blindly follows every word and whim that he utters. Well, and I mean, the, the sad part is, is that they know that that is part of it. Like they have accepted that he is absolutely batshit crazy. I think the question you're asking here, McCheese is, you know, how is this playing out in reality? Well, I think you can assume in many of the instances that the narrator and Tyler's conversations are purely in his own head. Yeah. But in that car scene, he asks questions to the people in the back seat. Yeah, and they, yeah, they, and they respond. Yeah, no, I mean, it, I'm just saying though that the dialogue between Tyler and the narrator, you can assume at any given time is just in, you know, the narrator's head. I, and yes, when Tyler's yelling the questions back to the back seat, that's the narrator. The narrator's really the one yelling them. So it's a combination of the two. I would agree with that, except for when the scene where Tyler's in the basement working on things, 
and he's talking to uh, Marla, she most explicitly reacts to him talking to Tyler, and then he quickly has to correct himself to cover up. Like he's, it's because he's he's hallucinating, and, yeah, and just, in those yeah. scenes he's hallucinating. He's 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 in reality his physical being is there conversing with Marla. He's hallucinating Tyler in the basement. Yeah, the the film does a fairly good job at like what you would expect for mental illness and split personalities. It, this is the one scene that me and Mrs. McCheese were like. All right, there's two other people involved. Are they just hearing questions? Is he having this argument in his head? Are they like, is he literally barking out back and forth? Like, who knows? I think it's a little <laughs> bit of both. And it's obvious they react that his erratic driving causes them to buckle up because they seem to know what's coming. Yeah. So, okay, after the crash, Tyler seems to have disappeared and the narrator grows more distant until Bob gets killed during the coffee shop vandalism stunt. The narrator now starts to try to track down Tyler, and we get the sense that something's eh, not right. Uh, as he is chasing Tyler's trail, he ends up at one bar where eventually the bartender just straight up tells him, you're in fact Tyler Durden. Uh, kind of knocks him on his feet. The narrator calls Marla to confirm this. They have a pretty aggressive phone call. Uh, and then he has his first honest interaction with his imaginary friend Tyler. And after that, Tyler takes control, knocks his ass out because we're going with the split personality theme and goes and ties up some loose ends. And the narrator returns home to find the entire house empty except for some files. He puts together that Tyler has planted a bomb in the basement of several credit card companies in the hopes that they will take them all out, erase the debt record and cause mass chaos while also quote-unquote, wiping the slate clean. Uh, he gets a hold of Marla and tells her to leave town because he realizes that she's in trouble, and then he attempts to turn himself in, only to discover that, huh, the cops are part of Project Mayhem. He escapes. How? Uh, he's half-naked and has a gun, but somehow gets out of a police station and runs to one of the addresses on the folders that he has. Tyler and the narrator fight, Tyler wins, and then we go back to the start of the movie. I just want to say, for a movie that's called Fight Club, and throughout which the majority of people are terrible at fighting, Tyler turning into Bruce Lee is quite something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there were scenes earlier when the narrator was talking to Marla, and Tyler was in the background pressed practicing nunchucks so but he was terrible with him at that point and then he literally turns into bruce lee and lays the most brutal beat down of the entire film even though jared leto gets turned into the joker at one point uh he like oh. kicks the living shit out of him in that scene like he... well hold on two seconds um and it, the scene is good because the fighting at that point you have to suspend disbelief that there's two people it's one person and you get the, the, the closed-circuit camera vision fight. But still, yeah, Brad Pitt, that's the problem with this movie. He puts on a show in this entire thing. He's wearing a ridiculous outfit, and he's beating the shit out of Edward Norton in an awesome way, and you want to like Brad Pitt. He's you, way too you're cool. Not, you're not he's supposed to. Too goddamn charming. Brad yeah. Pitt. 1999 Brad Pitt was... I, you know what? I was going to say Brad Pitt at the height of his powers, but I believe that is 
2002 Brad Pitt in Ocean's Eleven. That, uh, that's Brad Pitt at peak Pitt. He yeah, just I mean, won it, an Oscar. Like, but he's this, always at the peak of his powers. He doesn't yeah. age. You you don't put Brad Pitt in something to have him not be amazing. That's the problem with what happened here. Like, Yeah. I, I think... The Thunderous Wizard has mentioned it several times that he's just too too slick, too cool, too whatever. I think if he had played this role more like what he did in 12 Monkeys and made it a little more, you know, uh, awkward and, uh, you know, he played a more eccentric character, it might have, it might have, like, made him more believable as a scumbag and not so much somebody that could be confused as, as a you know, movie idol or a cool guy or whatever. But I don't know if that works for this movie, though, because I think there is part of the movie where he's supposed to be like the alpha male. He's supposed to be, uh, you know, that part of that repressed dominant personality that the narrator doesn't display. But that's a big problem with the Norton aspect, because even if Norton's delivering all those lines and he's a good actor, you don't buy him as the alpha male. So if it's if it's a Brad Pitt who is some schlub who's working nine to five and looking at an Ikea catalog and then he becomes this different thing, that's wholly different than Edward Norton. Are you saying Brad Pitt should play both roles? No. No, I think he should be the guy that... Because I think that's a really interesting point is is that he would have like a, you know, you have him like play a different version of himself. No, so here's what the Thunderous Wizard is proposing. You have Brad Pitt play the narrator which is currently Edward Norton. And then yeah. you have John C. Riley play Tyler Durden. <laughs> <laughs> I, I stick, I'm sticking with Mickey Rourke. <laughs> I would take Mickey Rourke. I think Mickey Rourke would be perfect in 1999 like, like as the, the wrestler Mickey Rourke. Yeah. As the sleazy then, guy. They're not even close in age. <laughs> well, that's fine. Mickey's a <laughs> handsome dude. He's a handsome cat. He's doing double team at this time. He can still do it. All right, let's we got to close out this plot. Let's go. Uh, so with Tyler and the narrator in their good viewing position, we get a very Tyler speech on consumerism and blah, 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 blah. Uh, the narrator realizes that whatever Tyler has, he has. So he understands finally that he is actually holding the gun. He shoots himself in the quote unquote head, actually the cheek. But in doing so, it appears to kill the Tyler personality the Project Mayhem goons show up with Marla, and the narrator sends them all away to watch the explosions with her alone. We get the you met me at a very strange time in my life line and a short clip of a penis. End of movie. Shouldn't there have been a lot of questions about why Tyler Durden gets to have a girlfriend when they're all in this celibate all-man cult? <laughs> that That's a good point, and I, and I do want to address that. My other thought, when he puts the gun in his mouth, do you think the narrator means to kill himself? Or does he know that, oh, if I if I do this performative thing, it's going to kill Tyler Durden for me? Uh, I mean, th- there is a question in the... There's a book versus movie question in this. It doesn't actually play into it too much. I think he, in his mind, has now realized that he has split personalities and in the hopes he's trying to kill the other personality. But at the same time, 
you got a point. Like, how do you shoot yourself through the cheek and hope the other one dies? Like, they live in they live in your brain. I have always assumed that was a failed suicide attempt, but the physical trauma snapped him back to reality and kind of stopped his psychic or psychotic break. Excuse me. Um, so I think it's a temporary thing. I think the trauma temporarily knocked Tyler out of the picture. I don't know if it's a long-term solution. But yeah, I, I think he, again, I think that was a failed suicide attempt. He was attempting to kill himself to end everything because he felt out of control of his life. He felt out of control of the Taylor side, or Taylor, the Tyler side of his personality. Um, uh, so that's kind of a, that's really, in my opinion, that was a really dark scene. But it's not super, super clear. That's a lot of me reading between the lines. Uh I, simply because the way he he does that, and then he's seemingly fine, which is in, absolutely insane. I, I I wondered today: is he actually just been dead this whole time, and this is some sort of weird trip down the lane of the life he wanted to lead versus the life he actually led, and then realizing what does it all matter anyways? I don't know because ah uh, yes, you're that, not okay. Yeah. You're just not okay. <clears throat> I believe what you're referring to is the Jacob's Ladder paradox. Robbins for the win. All right. So I think that brings us to the end of this thing. The real question now is how many beers do you guys need to enjoy this? I'm going to start. Um, I mean, it's tough. I used to like this a lot, but it's also been 22 years to rewatch. Um, at this point, I'd almost say zero. It's, Zero pain, zero enjoyment. I mean, it just doesn't work anymore. I don't want to drink for fun while watching it, and I don't think it sucks so bad that I need to drink. So, I mean, just kind of blasés by. Uh, Thunderous Wizard? I will give this three pain beers simply because it doesn't do a good enough job establishing that uh, Tyler is not... uh, is not an actual prophet he's a false prophet and his ideas although steeped in some sort of logical realism are mostly insane bullshit and people are following him to a very terrible and dark means so that stuff's really hard to get past for me that it's never like there's no questioning what he says and does in this movie there's no real voice of reason until way too late in the movie from the narrator everyone's very subservient to him so uh it it hits it's very it's a lot it's way too close to home in that respect like we're living in a real strange time and place where fanaticism's at an all-time high so three pain beers uh it's such a well-acted and well-shot movie and it does present interesting ideas as long as you're aware that what you're watching is not supposed to convince you that being an alpha male who rejects societal norms and is mean to women and doesn't give a shit about anybody's cool because it's not so captain cash what say you yeah i actually think i'm with thunderous wizard on this one it's it's one of those movies where it's way past its time and when we have seen where this sort of attitude leads you it's almost a six pain beer film but that's only in retrospect. I mean, well, I mean and the, the tough part is, and I, I was thinking about this more, you know, he has that speech of like, oh, we're the middle children of history, blah, blah, blah. Since then, 
the amount of shit that has happened is insane. But I mean, it's absolutely insane. I mean, several economic crashes, 9-11, blah, blah, blah. But people still link to this because they think he's the cool guy. And that's that's the fucked up part. Honestly. Well, I'll save it for how we could have fixed this film. Because there are, there are two ways you fix it. But as far as pain beers, how many beers I need to drink, three, maybe four. And they're pain. I'd agree with that. Uh, Chumzilla? I'm going to hold the line here at three beers. Um, the movie's still watchable. I think one of the biggest flaws, the Thunderous Wizard pointed out in his review, uh, none of the ideas in this movie are challenged until the very end. And I, I think that's probably the biggest problem in a modern context is that, like, yeah, there's just a lot of unchecked bad ideas in this movie that just get, you know, kind of played up and yeah. either playing for laughs away, like, yeah, whatever, or just, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's still an entertaining movie because it is so well acted. Uh, Brad Pitt's character is, is, is entertaining and engaging. Uh, Edward Norton plays his role very well too. And, and some of the jokes are classics in this, the well, dildo I mean, joke at the airport. Yeah, you, know, I mean, you gotta, you gotta use, you know, an odd dildo, not your dildo. I mean, that's funny. Non-possessive. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's almost on that Aaron Sorkin level of dialogue where you're not going to be able to beat it. Like the dialogue in this movie is fantastic. The acting, they picked literally the best actors across the board to play these characters. So you can't not like them. Yeah. And, and again, one of my favorite jokes in the movie, it's a real quick one. One the studio really wanted to pull. It's that uh, during one of the sex romps, Tyler answers the door and he's got a, a yellow rubber kitchen glove on. I mean, it's gross, but it's like the glove. The glove is such a great sight gag. And I guess that was Brad Pitt's idea. And I really enjoyed all of the Jack lines in the movie. I am Jack's lack of disbelief. I am Jack's whatever. That was that was funny. I mean, there's some stuff in this movie that's still funny, aside from all the stuff that's problematic today that's the that's the bad part and again it circles back to what me and the thunderous wizard were talking about the collider article like it's a very good movie it just it somehow aims the focus on what you don't want it to aim the focus on yeah and it doesn't challenge those things until the very end again i view this as a a similar movie to american history x except it, it doesn't give you that clear solid concise resolution. It, 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 it doesn't say hey this is the bad guy it, it the whole movie it's like this is the good guy this is the cool guy you should follow this guy and at the end you're like oh shit maybe, maybe not, not but it doesn't matter because his plan is still executed it's too late to do anything it's the problem now with the facts crowd where people present something as fact and they spin it in a way that suits their narrative purpose actual facts or well it, fox, it takes fox, a fact fox and, news and it spins it right like so this movie does that but it never lets you in on the fact that it's doing that now if you're if you're paying attention you understand that it's doing that but if you're not you're like yeah this is like this is all bullshit and i'm really mad now and i should oh i should be super hyper masculine and i should do all these things no that's that's not the point but it never it doesn't give you a window into that really at all because Tyler's so friggin' cool. Yeah. And we... 
and again, the problem with this movie is that the ideology is one step away from, and after the credit card companies, we're going to go after the global cabal that runs things. Yeah. So, and it's like, oh, no, 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 no. So I'm going to skip around a little bit. Love it or leave it. 1999 to now, where does this movie fall? In 1999, did you guys like this or hate it? And now I'm, I think we're all kind of leaning towards the it's this thing doesn't work anymore. I'll go first. I've always disliked this movie and I stated why. And I think it's watchable for all the reasons we've talked about. But I also think if you're looking for a movie about a person that's spinning out of control, uh, there's better movies than this. I, mm. I'd rather watch American Psycho. I'd rather watch Vampire's Kiss. Yes. Nice. I, I would. I mean, just to be honest, because, you know, in that movie, this guy is losing his shit. But people are recognizing that. He doesn't start a weird vampire cult where he's the coolest dude ever. Uh, I mean... <laughs> He might have tried. Yeah, <laughs> it's I tough. It, I, I just think it's been done better. And, you know, we texted about I think Joker does it better. You guys didn't necessarily agree, but I think it does. I think there's better <sighs> movies to watch with similar themes than this. Similar yeah, I'll, I'll say the Joker works better than this movie, but I would say that they're... I, I wouldn't say that they're similar in terms of the, the, the overall plot and arc, but that's besides the point. Yeah, you know, I enjoyed this movie when it came out. I thought it was fun to watch. Uh, I wasn't like one of those like, oh, Tyler Durden's the man people. Like I knew I, I was smart enough, you know, upon first viewing to get like, yeah, you're, Tyler's a piece of shit. You're not supposed to like that guy. But, uh, you know, it was still a fun movie to watch. But now with 20 years of history and uh, quote unquote maturity under my belt. Yeah, it, it doesn't hit the same. I still laughed at some of the jokes, like the rubber glove scene again. That still makes me chuckle every time. But I'm like, yeah, the rest of it is just so like ugh, edgy for the sake of edgy. Very 90s. It's a very, very late 90s movie. As someone who is not as smart as Jumpzilla, I really like this movie when it came out. I like the pseudo spirituality of it. But ultimately, you can't like Tyler, because he's the bad guy. But again, and we've mentioned a handful of times, the movie does make the turn, just not convincingly enough. So, yeah. and, and that's the thing that's frustrating, because a lot of the things that Tyler says in the first, let's call it, first act of the film, in the first act of the film, Tyler makes a lot of sense. He's mm -hmm. right on a lot of things. And then things start to get weird, but you're like, oh, no, it's, it's Brad Pitt, and he's super cool, so I'm still along for the ride. And then yeah. you're blowing up a Starbucks, and your buddy Bob has his head blown off, and you're like, wait a minute, did let's I take, turn out to be a Nazi? Let's take inventory here. Hold on. What's going on? No, and I think you make an excellent point there, Captain Cash, because Tyler's ideology in the first portions of the movie is a very, very seductive set of ideas. It's meant to draw you in. It's meant to play on the emotions that young, slightly disillusioned males have. Um, the the anti-authoritarianism, the anti-consumerism, the, the valuation of, of physical strength and individualism, they're all very attractive ideas. And when they're delivered by somebody like Brad Pitt, 
dressed up as sexy '90s Elvis, like yeah, you're gonna get people to follow that message. And then yeah, then you're you're loading people into boxcars by the end. I'm like, how did I get here? Exactly. Which again, it, it's a fantastic case study on how fascist ideology can be easily applied to groups of people in society if done a certain way. Which again, this movie, like you said, just doesn't make that turn at the end clear enough. Wait, are we the baddies? No, we're not the baddies. All right, so quickly, let's go around the horn. Does this deserve the flop? I want a yes or no. I don't want explanations. Well, it's tough because the Joker made a billion dollars and that has some dangerous hero worship associated with it as well. Uh, and I and this movie killed it on home media and it still kills it today. So, it, you know, it's a cult classic and people are still watching it for the wrong reasons. So I do think... As a as a as a David Fincher film post seven, it's gonna it probably deserved the flop because it's really sort of out there and it's a weird movie. It's a dark movie. So is seven, but seven is still a commercial movie. It's a you know it's a serial killer movie that was a popular. It's a whodunit, yeah. yeah. Like I I just don't know how you market this film so. I think Fox struggled with that as well. I, I'll go next, Mary McCheese. And just for the record, that was a really long non-explanation right there, uh, Thunderous Wizard. Uh, yes, this movie deserved to flop because it was way, way too much style over substance and not as smart as it uh, thought it was. So here's my thoughts. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, On the one hand, yeah, this movie should have flopped. Right, because it doesn't do what it's supposed to do well. On the other hand, it it clearly is very or was very popular. So I really don't have an answer. I mean, the movie had high ideals, and I think it could have made a ton of money, but it's at a tough point in time, and it's just I mean, there's not enough there to make it a giant hit. I mean, compared to what we talked about earlier, I mean, you're talking about a bunch of animated comedies, et cetera, et cetera. And this movie's great, but it doesn't carry enough weight to be a giant box office hit. So, yeah, I, I mean, it deserved a flop. But at the same time, is it a good movie? It's a very good movie. And you probably know more than me, McCheese, but it's my understanding that Fincher at least narratively stuck pretty close to the source material for this. And I think that might actually be part of the problem as well, because they didn't give this uh, book or the subsequent screenplay, the true Hollywood treatment. The author actually said that this, the screenplay was an improvement on the actual original book. And it's actually, I mean, the screenplay to the book is, very close i mean our trivia is going to be the difference but it's only three questions because it's almost it's almost exact and chuck the author said that this movie was an improvement on his original book oh and i'm not denying that because i think you know uh, it's like i said it's true to the source material uh what i'm trying to say is though they should have given it more of the hollywood treatment that probably would have helped the movie be more commercially successful. If, no, you had no. a, if you had a more satisfying third act with a clear climax and like some sort of like mental pivot, 
uh, where where you see the narrator be victorious and more heroic, then all of a sudden the movie takes on a different tone. Yeah, but 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 then you're not going to have Fincher do it. Like that's the tough that's the tough part about this. And I think Thunder's Wizard has. If this Go is, ahead. If this is a Hollywood movie, then Tyler Jordan's a real person. And the end of the movie is the narrator shooting him in the face and stopping all the bombs. That's what Hollywood would want. Like, then he saves the day and he sees the light and he's a hero. And he gets the girl and saves her from herself. But if you want it to be an artsy movie, you have to go completely against that. That's the problem. Now, I'm not saying you have to go full Hollywood, but I think you needed to have stronger thematics that give you better closure. I'm not saying you have to have a happy ending. You just have to have a more clear ending. I think the studio thought this guy's going to change all this for us. And it's going to be a huge hit. (laughs) Well, uh, Hey, so let's just be clear here. If this movie's made today, Tyler Durden has a podcast that's completely supported by dick pills and people selling gold coins, right? And Tucker Carlson. And Swanson frozen food money. And diamonds for meat. I'm gonna post that sketch to, to and the my pillow. Diamonds and, for meat. And my pillow. Uh, All right. Uh, before we get into our trivia challenge, let's hear from our buddies at Hop Nation. Hey everyone, this is Steve. And this is Adam. And we're part of the Hop Nation USA podcast. Pittsburgh's number three craft beer podcast. Join us every Friday for new beer reviews. We'll talk about the news, history, and homebrewing. Plus, we'll sit down with the best brewers and industry personalities that'll have us. So whether you're a casual drinker, a hazy boy hophead, or even if you're a whale hunting cellar hoarder, just search Hop Nation USA on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher and join the nation. All right, welcome back to the 106th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by WoBamEntertainment.com. As a reminder, we are on the 1999 Flight Club Trivia Challenge. This is the I Am Jack's Trivia Challenge. For tonight's Trivia Challenge, we will be comparing the book and film version of this story, and we will throw in some random author and book Trivia to boot. The chime-ins for tonight are, his name was Robert Paulson. And of course, you can always chime in with, I'm going to shoot! And from now on out, we are adding the tarts and farts to our reoccurring chime-ins. So everyone be excited. You can do both, I'm going to shoot, or tarts and farts. You guys ready? Tarts and farts. Will you also accept, I'm going to soap... Yeah, I'll accept that. Who knew that uh, the Jaegerbaum decision would shape the future of this podcast so dramatically? I I really like Tarts and Farts. I think Tarts and Farts is a good addition to... I'm going to shoot! Okay. Are we ready ready for the questions? Tarts and Farts. Nice. Okay, again, these are... The first couple questions are comparing the book to the movie. Question number one. How Tyler and the narrator first meet is different in the book and movie of course in the movie they meet on the plane how do they meet in the book a they meet in a support group b they meet at hey let me finish b they meet at loose tavern c they meet on a nude beach or d they meet at a fancy corporate dinner oh i'm gonna go with cash give me nude beach please tell me it's nude beach it is 
in Nude Beach. Oh my god. I can't <laughs> Wait, are you serious? Why? Yes. Yep. Why Edward Norton's jacket all right, hold on. get a nude anywhere? I do have background to all these. So in the book, Tyler, or in the book, the narrator goes to the beach. It's a new beach. He falls asleep. And then when he wakes up, Tyler is building this weird wooden structure that casts a shadow of a hand on the sand. And that gets them to talk to each other. It makes clearly no sense. It makes way less sense than being on a plane, but good job, Cash. Question number two. Uh, this is relating to the ending of the movie. This is question number one of the ending. Um, in the book, what is tr Tyler trying to blow up? A, is it a national museum? B, is it still the credit card companies? No change from the film. Is it C, a government building, or is it D, his original office building? Farts and tarts. That is the Thunderous Wizard. No change. Yeah, wrong. Son Sorry, of a gun. Sorry, I'm my gonna friend. I'm going to shoot. That is Chumpzilla. I believe it's A, the museum. That is correct. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, dude, like, Hold what on. the hell? They are Al-Qaeda. Uh, like, they're destroying it's artifacts? It's for rich people. It's, it's because it's for rich people. Rich people go look at art, and they don't value art, so they want to blow it up. So the, the I don't after, like that. The after comments is Tyler actually, in the book, wants to stay in the building to die with the bomb so he can prove that he's a martyr to Project Mayhem, but the bomb malfunctions because he doesn't mix it right and then we progress to the further ending, which is the next question. Uh, the final ending, question number two. In the movie, the narrator shoots himself to kill Tyler. What happens in the book? A, he shoots himself, but he actually kills himself. B, he shoots himself and wakes up in a mental institution. C, Tyler takes full control of the narrator and it... Er, er, Tyler takes full control, and essentially the narrator is killed off. And D, all of this was a big delusion from the beginning. The narrator has been in an institution the entire time. Coming Cuts like a bat out of hell. I'm going to go with Cash. B. That is correct. Ha-ha! So, in the book, I mean, and this is the biggest one. In the book, he shoots himself, he wakes up in a mental institution, and he, for a short period, believes that he is in heaven and that the doctor is God. And it's only after the orderlies start coming by and start saying, we can't wait to have you back, sir, that he realizes that he didn't actually kill himself and that Project Mayhem is still continuing. Uh, <laughs> that's a better ending, just yep. for the record. That's very Twilight Zone-esque. Yeah, it's actually kind of fucked up if you think about it. Like, he tried to get out of his fucked up situation, and he's in even more of one at that point. So that's probably it for the major book and movie differences. There are some minor changes here and there, but the rest is a fairly straightforward adaptation. The author, Chuck, uh, has stated that he feels that this is actually an improvement on the book, and he actually wrote the book as a fuck you to the New York Literary Society because he was failing as an author while he was in New York. And this was his last hurrah. Angsty white man writes angsty book. Um, 
Another scene they changed from the book to the movie that I actually think worked really well is the scene where you have uh, the narrator dressing his knuckle wounds while Tyler is scrubbing in the tub and they have some conversations and the daddy issues get brought up, how Ed Norton had never known his father. And at that point, it's sort of implied he looks to Tyler as somewhat of a father figure, kind of, I don't really know. But anyway, in the book, that scene has them out in the backyard garden where they buried Bob and they're just like laying on their backs, staring at the moon and stars. Like they Wayne actually, and Garth. Like Wayne and Garth. They actually shot that scene but part of that 13 million extra dollars they got, they got to come back because Fincher thought that was weak and they reshot it in that bathroom. And yeah, again, that's a huge improvement. I actually think that the scene's the first indication that they're the same person. Like it's pretty illicit at that point. Like, Oh, this is the same, same guy. Well, a lot of their conversations with Marla too, it becomes clear that because Marla is one of the few people that, that interacts with both, but yet seems confused anytime. She talks to the narrator because the narrator doesn't seem to remember their previous interactions. And it's also like, oh, if this were just actual life, the person would say the one thing that everybody needs to hear, but it's not going to happen. All right, shut up. We got to get to the rest of the trivia challenge. We got question number four, which is how much were the rights for this book purchased for? A, $1,000. B, $10,000. C, $20,000, or D, $50,000? Farts and farts. farts. I think that goes to Thunder's Wizard. I, I'm i hoping it's 50 for the sake of the author. That is not correct. Oh, farts and farts. Ooh. Jumping the line there, Chumpzilla. I believe it is C. That is incorrect. Oh! Do you want me to repeat them for you, Captain Cash? What are my options? $1,000 or $10,000? Oh, damn. I was going to go twenty. dollars uh, $1,000. <laughs> it's $10,000. Jesus, no one purchases a book for $1,000. Hey, Stephen King will sell his books to young filmmakers for a dollar. Almost nobody purchases a book for $10,000. I am shocked. So this book must have tanked, too. No, so... Like literally, Chuck was an unknown author, and then a Fox 2000 Pictures guy read this and started shopping it around and got them to buy it. And it, like, this is, I mean, unless this is wrong, I read this online. It was one of his executive, it was one of his dying wishes in his obituary that he wanted to get this picture off the ground because he believed in it so much. And they purchased the book for ten grand. So what I'm hearing is a Nazi died, and in that Nazi's <laughs> will, he was like, I gotta produce Fight Club. I need I need somebody to make Mein Kampf the movie two thousand. <laughs> oh Lord. Okay. Oh man, Mein Kampf two thousand is definitely the one liner we should have ran with. So okay, so we're currently at two cash, one chumpzilla. I still have two more questions. All right, um, let's go. Right. Uh, question number five. Uh, in book number two, this well, this is a book number two question. Sorry. In neither this book nor the movie do we learn the narrator's name. What is the narrator's name? A. Tyler. B, Jack, C, Joe, or D, Sebastian? Parts and Tarts. That is Captain Gash. Sebastian, just for the 
The seaweed is always greener when you punch someone in the face. It is actually Sebastian. Holy shit! Oh, wow. It was such a fucking Hail Mary. You totally missed the musical cue of Little Sebastian. Bye-bye, Little Sebastian. Sebastian! All right, so... I thought thought we never got to learn it. it. Is it given in the book? No, it's never given in this book. It's only given in book two what his name is. And most uh, people think his name is Jack. Is Jack, I, right. Because I am Jack's blah, blah, blah. Wait, wait, wait. There's a second book. Yeah. It's, it's a comic book. Ugh. All right, Ugh. so. Dark Horse. Let's Pass. keep rolling. So, last question. I think Cash has run away with this, but we're going to answer, or we're going to go with this last question. Can anyone name the other Chuck... Uh, I don't know how you say his last name, Paul. Yeah, movie that was fairly popular. Anyone? I am Sam. Wait, no, uh, the movie's Choke. There you go. I had hints written. I was hoping someone would chime in beforehand, but Cash has already run away with our trivia challenge, so that kind of brings us to the end of that. Hey, and just for the record, Captain Cash, your prize tonight is hand-cut soap made from ladies from somewhere, rich ladies from somewhere. Uh, Fat ladies. Uh, Having people wash themselves with their own fat asses. That's how metal this movie is. I don't understand the um, comment that I'm sure Captain Cash would fill us in on Edgelord Toss, but I feel like this entire movie is that. (laughs) Yeah. So, hey, I have some quick uh, questions for the panel. Um, Where do you guys think this movie was set? New York? I was assuming New York, yeah. New York. I see. I always felt like this movie was in L.A. I always thought this was a, a West Coast movie. Even though you never see the ocean, for whatever reason, I always thought this was well, West you, Coast. You'd see Turns the out ocean is, in New York, too. So. Yeah, well, well, yeah, but <laughs> it's a different ocean. I say that because uh, that is that is where the movie was filmed. I think it was filmed like in Long Beach. At least that's where the, the, the exterior for the Paper Street house is. Um, but in the book, it's actually set in uh, Delaware, in Wilmington. Hi, I'm in Delaware, I'm so bored. I'm going to start a fight club. That's what I'm in Delaware. Delaware. Yeah, because that's where a hey, lot of financial go. institutions Let's go do a Broadway show. are based. That brings us to recommendations. Uh, last week, I went a little dark with my recommendations. So this week, I'm going to try to pick a different documentary. Uh, this is recommended by Mrs. McCheese, and it is the We Work uh, documentary on Hulu. I didn't. I saw parts, but not the whole thing. But holy hell! Do you want to see some rich person shit? Then watch this documentary. They basically, um, it's like watching a cult operate on Wall Street. They literally changed the name of coffee drinks because the CEO got it wrong once. They start calling cappuccinos frappuccinos just so they don't make him mad. This outfit ended up losing a sixty or a forty-six billion dollar valuation. Once everyone figured out that they were all full of shit and uh, how, I mean, how the hell like, and go watch it. It's cool. I, and I've only seen part, but uh, it's, it's pretty fantastic. Uh, what about you guys? What do you have on tap? Thunderous wizard? Well, if fight clubs right about certain things, it's that capitalism is woefully unfair. And I think whatever documentary you just mentioned probably covers that because it is largely bullshit. My, uh, recommendation is going to be dark because this movie is pretty prophetic in a way about how the internet was going to begin to manipulate uh, 
impressionable young people uh, into following bad ideas down terrible rabbit holes. So mine is Q Into the Storm. It's a six-part documentary on HBO Max. And it kind of shows you how QAnon became this huge phenomenon. And yes, QAnon, I apologize if you're a QAnon listener. It's bullshit. If you're a QAnon listener, stop fucking listening. Yeah. Fuck you. Uh, yeah, we're we're good not having you in yeah, the audience, it's, I think it's, is the general theory. It's bullshit. Or, and I think some of what would have served this movie well is to show the cost of the people who succumb to Tyler Durden's cult of personality. And this documentary doesn't do that entirely that well either, but it is really good. And at the end of the day, you sort of pretty much learn who Q was. And it's just so. Yeah, I think probably for legal reasons, they aren't super accusatory in the documentary, yeah. but they lead you to the end point. Yeah. And it's like, it's sort of a depressing thing to realize where we're at as a society that something so inane and so ridiculous can lead to something as heinous as the assault on the Capitol building, which it's, it's terrifying stuff. And knowing is half the battle. Uh, my recommendation is going to be way less intense than all that. My recommendation is going to be HBO's The Nevers. Do you like steampunk? Boo. In Victorian era times? And do you like the X-Men and ladies? Because that's basically what this thing is. Boo. Listen, I, I understand it's produced and written by Joss Whedon for the first couple episodes. But whatever. It literally, like, thousands of people worked on this. Yeah, that's true. Support the people in the cast and crew who obviously worked really hard. And Joss Whedon stepped down. So if you're reluctance is because he's involved he's gone so forget about that yeah i mean it's it, listen it, is it high art and um, i'm not sure i'm there but you know <laughs> is I, it ducktails is it ducktails yeah probably not ducktails still... is high fucking art <laughs> is it the expanse <laughs> no sir it's not no no it's but but it is like a steampunk victorian x-men so i'm kind of i'm kind of there for it frankly uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? I think the it's when you League have to put of Extraordinary it. Ladies. Oh, ladies. I think the steampunk thing is when you have to put a signing top hat on your penis. It does. It is. <laughs> yeah. And, go- and or goggles. Or, well, you gotta make them a proper yeah. It's a top hat or goggles. Monocle. Both if you want to <laughs> fancy. The, the one-eyed snake gets a monocle. Or you, have a, you have a giant mechanical spider. Pretty steampunk oh, if you ask go. me. <laughs> Okay, easy there, John Peters. Chumpzilla, go so we can get out of this thing. Okay, I think I have the the most lighthearted recommendation this week, and it's a movie that has a plot somewhat similar to Fight Club. It involves an evil mastermind trying to wipe out the world's credit cards to to collapse the financial markets and cause chaos and whatnot. This sounds um, like a duck. Wait, is this if looks could kill? This sounds like a ducktail. Well, it's worse than that. It's uh, Dr. Otto and the Riddle of the Gloom Beam. Um, and actually, you inspired this recommendation, Mary Cheese, because you sent us the, the meme picture earlier of Jim Varney and uh, John Cena. <laughs> Which, if folks, you hadn't seen that, they might be the same person. I think John Cena is slowly turning into earnest. When you but, yeah, wrestle so this- long enough to 
see yourself become Ernest goes to camp. Yeah. This is uh this is Jim Varney's first movie. It's also <laughs> the only movie that Ernest isn't the uh the title character in that, that, that Ernest appears in because Varney plays like five characters in this movie. Um it's a goofy 80s movie. It came out in 86. And yeah, it basically involves Jim Varney playing this evil mad scientist that's got a bunch of sexy lady uh, uh, henchmen that decide to wipe out the credit card companies with his like doom gloom beam or whatever. And I I, I watched it because it's free on Amazon Prime right now with commercials uh, just because I stumbled across it on like a deep dive insomnia inspired Wikipedia K-hole thing. And I was just like, wow, I got to see if I can watch this. And sure enough, I could. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of a gag recommendation because it does involve wiping out credit card debt to, uh, you know, send the world into chaos. So it's a nice, uh, a nice pairing with Fight Club. Dr. Otto and the Riddle of the Gloombeam. Hey, Vern, you know what would be sweet? Wiping out the world's credit card debt. Oh, God. <laughs> Thanks again, everyone, for joining us for the 106th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops. Thanks again to Lagunitas for providing us with tonight's beer. If you will all be so kind to find us and leave us a review or suggestion for the next episode, please do so. Um, next week, we will be doing HBO Max's Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat! Yeah, cue the immortals. Right I'm very now. I'm very excited about this. This might be the first uh, movie I see in cinema since Endgame. I think it was the last movie I saw in cinema. I am booked. I am going, and I can't friggin' wait to watch and Fatalities. You, you're on already you're already screen. half masked. You got to deal with that until you get to the next uh, the next checkpoint. <laughs> yep. Uh, as always, you can find the pod on most of your social medias at Hops and B.O. Flops. You can find me on Twitter at HBOF McCheese. You can find the Thunderous Wizard at Writer TLK. You can find Captain Cash at C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H. And you can find Chumzilla at Chumpzilla8. We will see you next week for some serious spine ripping and laser eyes. And, oh, God, who else knows how more sweet Mortal Kombat shit we're going to get. Mono